Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. How's everybody doing this morning? You survived the one inch of snow? Yeah, a little, little overrated this last weekend. Well, it feels like uh, 17 weeks since we've been together, since we canceled last weekend. I hate canceling, but you know, I think it was the right decision. We wanted, we're doing this Amplify Vision series, and we wanted not a quarter of the church to hear this. We wanted all the church, because this is for all of us, not just a few of us. Amen. So glad that you're back in the house as a family. Uh, when we did kick off Amplify the first weekend of January, um, really this, this series, it's about God's vision. It's not my vision. It's not someone else's vision. This is God's vision for you as an individual, us as a church, uh, us as a city. And over these four weeks, God is answering the questions of who, what, where, why, and when. We opened with the, the series with the question, who are we? Who are we? We are apostles. That's the A in Amplify. And as apostles, our responsibility is to identify other disciples and call them out to be apostles. Amen? And that's the I in Amplify, identify apostles. That's who we are. That's our identity. And how many people know how important your identity is? If you don't know who you are, then you have no idea what to do right? That's why we had to start with that foundation of who we are. This week, Jesus is revealing to us the what. And the question this week is a big one. It's what is success? What is success for our individual lives, for our family lives, for our church? And the answer to that question is the same for all of those categories, because you see, in the kingdom of God, there are no barriers, there are no dividing lines between your workplace and and this church, between your school and your family. It's all the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about that more next week. But there's no separation. So what does success look like as a son or a daughter of God? What does success look like as an apostle? Or really, I should say, how does Jesus define success for us? What should we be pursuing that will make us successful in his kingdom? That's a huge question. See, we like to measure things that are tangible, that our human eyes can see, right? That's how we like to measure success in the world. A lot of people would say if you have riches or fame um, or some level of achievement, if you've got some letters behind your name, that's success, right? That's what the world says is success. Agree with me? This is an interactive message. And certainly God does and, and it does bless, he can bless through those areas. He absolutely blesses through those areas. But listen to me carefully, those things do not define success in the kingdom of God. Wealth, achievement, fame, those are great revealers of our heart condition. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but they can also be traps. They can also be, become idols in our lives. See, anything that takes the place of God in our hearts and lives is an idol. Really good things can become an idol. 
That's why the rich young ruler, remember him? He had to walk away from Jesus. Not because wealth is a bad thing, but because riches had such a pull on his heart that they became an idol. And, and an idol and Jesus cannot live in the same temple. You cannot serve two masters. That doesn't mean that everyone who is wealthy has made money an idol, right? But wealth and achievement and fame, they reveal what's already in your heart. They're a magnifying lens on your life. Jesus said that this way, seek first, what? The kingdom, right? Then all this other stuff will be added. Seek him first. If you're not seeking first, if I'm not seeking first Jesus in every single aspect of my life, then I have an idolatry problem. Jesus and idolatry cannot coexist. So what is success? In the church world, especially the North American church world, we like to measure attendance as a, a success indicator, right? But let me ask you a question. Does the number of people gathered together in one place indicate success? Absolutely not. It may indicate success. It should indicate success but not necessarily. Most of the time in the Bible, God started started with the small, with the insignificant, with the few, rather than the many. He told Gideon, remember Gideon, he told him to send most of his army home. He had too many soldiers. He was very upset at David for counting the Israelites. You remember that story? I went back to read this, and I saw something that I'd never seen before. Do you know who caused David to count the Israelites and sin against God? The man after God's own heart. Do you know who caused him to sin? You know him. He's an old adversary of ours. He still prowls around like a roaring lion. Satan caused the man after God's own heart to sin against God. This, this is a sobering verse. 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1. Satan was against Israel, you and me. Satan, and he caused David to count the people of Israel. Wow. If Satan can distract David, the man after God's own heart, then we need to be alert. We need to be ready. We have an enemy, and he's real. So should we never count people and stay a small little church? Absolutely not. That is not what I'm saying. However, we cannot and we should not use attendance to measure our success. We do know that the very heart of God is multiplication, right? Would you agree with that? God tells us, it's the first commandment, he tells us to multiply, right? But let's remember what he really said. He said, be fruitful and multiply. See, we like the multiply part. We don't really like the other factor, the fruitful part. We tend to forget what it takes to produce good fruit. It's not an easy journey to produce good fruit. It does no good to multiply something that is not fruitful. In fact, it's tragic. If we multiply bad fruit, it's absolutely tragic for our lives. God wants us to multiply the good seed. He puts good seed in each of our hands. And he wants to take that and plant that deep in our hearts. And he wants to produce good fruit. 
and he wants to multiply that fruit out of our lives. Because we know the process of producing good fruit involves what? Pruning. Some cutting away. Jesus talks about that. He says he cuts away and removes the dead and worthless branches so that in order that good fruit can grow. So numbers by themselves, they're not an indication of success. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, he said, this is a great commission. We talked about it last week. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. See, once again, he was saying, be fruitful and multiply. But it starts with us. It starts with the who. Good fruit starts in us. It starts in Jerusalem, in our heart, in our temple, and then it spreads out from there. So what is success? Jesus taught us to pray this way, remember? He said, our Father who is in heaven, holy, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our success as apostles of Jesus is to pray and seek and work towards bringing what is in heaven to earth. Amen? That the work he is doing in us would now be manifest through us. The good fruit would spread through us, be fruitful inside, multiply outward. That's his kingdom. That's good fruit that's being worked out in you, being multiplied out of you. So, Chris, that's all well and good, right? What's the tangible evidence of this? What are the real success indicators? What can we hold on to? What can we pursue after? I'm going to give you two things that I believe are the evidence of the kingdom of God at work in your life and my life, the things that we should pursue. These two things define what success is for our lives. These are the things that we should go after and pursue above anything else. See, in order to have a kingdom, you must what? have what first? In order to have a kingdom, you must have a king. Yes? The kingdom of God is the realm and the reign of God. There cannot be a kingdom without the presence of a king. What is success? What is the thing that we go after hard? We chase after the king. We chase after him. We must bring our lives to a place. And it's not a one-time thing. It's a daily, daily fight. But we must become desperate for the presence of God. Wrecked for his presence above everything else. That's the P in Amplify, his presence in our lives. That's success. That's the thing that we chase after. And his spirit, his presence within us, produces freedom. That's the F in Amplify, freedom. This is success. This is what success looks like for our lives individually, as a church, in your workplace, as a family. But they're not easy things to measure, are they? It's it's the hidden fruit of the heart. It's so much easier to measure things that we can see with our human eyes. To count numbers of people, to count wealth, to count achievement, to count fame and fortune. But the thing that we need to go after is Jesus himself. He is the prize. Seek first his kingdom. See, if his spirit is not working in you, then his spirit won't be working through you. We talked about that last week. Think about it this way. I've I've got a picture I want to show you. It's of a junkyard, hundreds, possibly thousands of cars. I think this is in China. 
There's way more vehicles in this picture than the next picture that I'm about to show you. Right? What's the difference? In the junkyard, there's nothing inside those vehicles that can move them. They have no engine. They have no spirit. They have no presence within them. They are worthless. This is not success in the kingdom of God. There's a lot more of them. That is not success. The church of Jesus Christ is not a junkyard. It's not a collection of dead vehicles. The church of Jesus Christ has his presence within them. It's on the move. It's moving. The church of Jesus Christ has his spirit inside of them and firing the pistons inside of us. His spirit breathes life into dry bones because without him, we're just that valley of dry bones. We're just a collection, a junkyard collection. We're just the dust and dirt that he made us from. But with him, we come alive. He breathes his spirit into us, his presence into us. He calls out those bones to rattle together and put flesh on them and make them move because he's a God of movement. He's not a collection of junkyard cars. This is why we have to go after the presence of God. We must become absolutely desperate for his presence. When the children of Israel were camped at Mount Sinai, God tells Moses this in Exodus 33, verse 1. The Lord says to Moses, he says, get going. <laughs> get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know what's interesting about the promised land? I was thinking about this and talking with my wife about this earlier this week. Abraham had already walked through the promised land. Five, six, seven generations before this. Abraham had already set foot on the land that God was promising to future generations. But I love that God is called, he's not just called the God of Abraham, he's called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you know why? Because he keeps moving through the generations. And that's you. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you, you know what? He's got a promised land for you to step into. There's generations that have gone before you. There's future generations that will come after you. And those are the generations that have paved the way. But now, today, right now, 2019, this is your fight. You cannot, we stand on what our generations before us have done, but now this is our fight. We move into the promised land. We step forward together. That's what this church is all about, stepping forward together. Amen. That's your promise. But God's just not going to hand it to you. He's got it right there. He's gone ahead of you. But you have to actually move and do something. And you can only do that if you have his presence within you. And God says, get going. I have a land for you. You're not just saved to escape Egypt. You're not just saved for a land of, you are saved for a land of promise that God has for you. But there's more to where you are currently standing. Don't stand still. Step forward. Get going. Remember, God went ahead of them with his presence. His presence led them through the Red Sea, through all those miracles, to the mount, mountain of God, Mount Sinai. 
He was leading them into their freedom, into the new land that he had prepared. But because that they were unaware of his presence, because they were blind to his presence, that journey that was supposed to take 40 days from Egypt to the promised land took 40 years and wiped out an entire generation. See, you and I can experience salvation and fall way short of the land that God intended for you. God has a land that he wants to bring you into. You can make it out of Egypt. You can be completely saved and not experience freedom. So Moses is up on the mountain with God alone. And one day he says to the Lord, God, you've been telling me to take these people to the promised land, but you haven't told me who you will send with me. You've told me I know you by name and I, I look favorably on you. And if that's true, if you look favorably on me, God, let me know your ways. Let me yada you so that I might understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. Remember, God, this nation is your very own people. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses. My presence will go with you. And I will give you rest and everything will be fine for you. And Moses says, if you don't go with us, if you don't personally go with us, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't make us leave this place. That's the kind of desperation you and I must have for his presence. And Moses says, how can anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people apart from all the other people on earth. That is the one thing that sets you apart from everyone else on earth is the presence and the spirit of God. And his presence always breaks us into freedom. Moses says, if you don't personally go with us, if your presence is not the thing that's leading us, we we don't make us leave this place. He says, I don't want to just know about you. I need to know you. You die you. We talked about that months ago. I want to experience you intimately to become fully aware of you. Open my blind eyes. See, it's not that God's not there in your situation. It's not that God's not there in your circumstance. It's that you're not aware of his presence. David said, where can I go from your presence? There's not a place you can go. It's your unawareness that keeps you blinded. And many times we're so unaware of his presence. We're so unaware that he's moving us into a land of freedom that we just stay camped at the mountain. See, when you and I come to God with a heart of selfishness, when all the focus is on me, 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 all we will build is our own kingdom. That's idolatry. But when you come to him with a heart that is desperate for his presence, when your focus is on the king, that's when you bring the, his kingdom of heaven to collide with earth. That is success. We must have an awareness for the presence of God. We must have an expectation of what he is going to do in our lives. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I know it's many of your life verses, 
in all your ways. In all your ways. Experience him. Yada him. To know him intimately. And then he will direct your path. His presence cannot be measured on a PowerPoint or a spreadsheet. The evidence of his presence is the good fruit that it produces out of your life. The evidence of the Spirit working in you, the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you, love, joy, peace, patience. That's the evidence. So how do we press into his presence? Because there's always more. He always has more. You you never arrive. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. But we won't fully get into glory until that day. How do we press into him? I think it starts with intentionally getting alone with him. That's what Jesus did. He, He often withdrew from the crowds. He withdrew from his disciples even. And he got into the presence of his father. He pressed in. He prayed till blood came. That's desperation for your father's voice over your life. Like Elijah alone on the mountain. Remember that story? Elijah was being chased by Jezebel, that wicked spirit. And he came to the lowest point of his life in the wilderness, to a point where an angel woke him up and fed him with bread and water and then said, it's time to get going, Elijah. And he brought him 700-some years later to the same mountain that Moses had met with God on. But God wasn't in the fire or the wind. He was in the still, small voice. A still, small voice that is so much louder than any band noise we could produce, any distraction in the world, a voice that will shake you to your core if you're listening to it. And if this temple, if Jerusalem is not fully consumed, consumed with going after the presence of God, then how can anything be amplified out of it? Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me, you will find me. That's a promise for you. Knock and the door will be opened. Are we knocking? The doors are ready to fly open. Are we pressing in? Are we like that widow with the judge, relentless, as relentless as his love is for us? Are we relentless back to him? That's what he's looking for. Some desperation. See, I believe that when you seek him first in the private place, then you'll be aware of him in the public space. So many times we we try to come to a, concert venue or something to find the presence of God, which he's there. He definitely is. I've had unbelievable moments in worship, corporate worship with God, but you won't necessarily see all that he has for you if you're not doing the intimate thing with him in the private place. And so Moses is meeting on this mountain with God and the people, remember the people are down below and they're completely unaware of the presence of God. The mountain is literally shaking and quaking with the voice of God, and they're down below, completely blinded to what is happening. They just have fear. They're afraid of him. They don't have faith. 
And they not only ignore his presence, they turn their backs on him. And what do they do? They decide to build their own idol. They collect all their gold. They melt it down. They build this, this golden calf to worship. At the very same time that Moses is meeting with God alone on the mountain, in the very shadow of God's presence, they commit idolatry. And you and I are very quick, I've done it, to read that story and say, wow, you know, Monday morning quarterback that thing. Say, wow, I would never do that. At the same time that we choose to build our idols every single day, putting other things in front of Jesus, becoming consumed with something else other than Jesus when he says, seek me first. Then all this stuff is added. If you get it out of order, it's idolatry. And the Lord says to Moses, my presence will go with you. He says, look, I've placed this land right in front of you. Go and occupy it. Get going. The God of your ancestors, that's who I am. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I've got a land for you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. God has a promise for you today. That same promise holds true. He has more land for you. His presence is leading you into it, but you've got to choose to step into his presence. Remember, they sent the 12 spies into the promised land, and then they came back. Ten of them said it can't be done. They're too big. The land's awesome, but they're too big. They're too powerful. It can't be done. They're stronger than us, but two of them, Caleb and Joshua, they believed God's promise. And only two allowed the presence of God to overcome the fear that the other ten spies felt. Ten against two. The vote was clear. If success is determined by numbers, they'd still be wandering around in the wilderness. But success is determined by the presence of God. Amen? And he said, go and occupy the land. I've gone before you. I've gone before you. But you must take the steps. You've got to cross over the Jordan. And because of their unbelief, an entire generation gets wiped out into what God intended and promised them. They became a junkyard collection of vehicles. All because they were not aware of his presence. These were the same Israelites who were led out of Egypt by the presence of God through the Red Sea. Unbelievable miracles that they had seen with their very own eyes led to the mountain of God thundering and quaking at the sound of God's voice, and still they chose to become unaware of his presence. And they settled for making a golden calf that they could control and see and touch. They traded in their promised land for idols. And they traded the presence of God and their freedom for the same sort of slavery that they had just come out of in Egypt. Slaves to fear. They had his presence and their freedom right within their grasp, and they chose to waste their lives. Don't we do the same thing? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is freedom. What is success? It's chasing after the presence of God, the spirit of the Lord, and his spirit will bring your life into freedom. See, there are more chains that need to still fall in your life. 
There are more strongholds that need to be removed in your life. And so finally, this entire new generation, including Joshua and Caleb, lead the next generation over the Jordan River into the promised land. And God says, I'm going ahead of you. This is your land. Can you imagine that moment, that day when you stepped into the Jordan River, you crossed the other side, and you're like, yes, rest. You're standing in the promised land. Everything is good. You sit back in your lazy boy and you drink milk and honey and watch cartoons and live happily ever after. Now, listen to me very carefully. They had stepped into a land that God had prepared for them. They had just stepped into their purpose. The fight was just beginning because now they had become dangerous to their enemy. This is what God has for you. This is freedom. They had stepped into the fight. See, freedom is found in the fight. And I would propose to you that following the presence of God will lead you into the biggest battles of your life, the bloodiest things in your life. But stepping into that land of promise, you are a carrier of his presence. And now you've just become dangerous to the enemy. See, taking land is costly. No one knows this better than Jesus. He paid the ultimate price for your freedom. And we've confused an easy life with a free life. And Jesus said, you will have trouble in this world. But take heart because I've overcome the world. I've given you freedom. The ground you are taking in Jesus' name, the battles you are fighting against the enemy is the evidence that you are standing in promised land. And if the Son has set you free, hello? If the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. See, your freedom demonstrates his presence in your life. This, this, the freedom we're talking about is not just you doing whatever you want, going willy-nilly all over the place. It's the freedom to become and step into who God really created you to be, breaking the chains of your identity. But a month ago, I was at Target with Jules, my daughter, who introduced me here, and we were shopping for last-minute uh, stocking stuffers for for Heather, my wife. And we're going through Target, just having a great little daddy date, and she's holding my hand. She says, Dad, I love going to Target with you because I can go wherever I want. And I thought in that moment, that's freedom. I can go wherever I want because I'm holding my father's hand. He's still guiding me and directing me. He's making sure I don't step into the street. He's keeping me away from the evil things. See, the Father's presence brings freedom. Places that you could not go on your own, you can now go because you are holding the hand of your loving Father. See, your enemy would love it for you to just do your own thing, play it safe, be no threat to him, have a nice, comfortable, easy life down by the mountain worshiping your golden calf. Because you're no threat to him at that point. You got no engine in you. You're just a junkyard collection labeled the church. And as long as you're consumed with your own golden calf, then you are no threat to the kingdom of darkness. And Satan gets to keep all of his strongholds. 
And he's sitting back laughing. But if you become consumed and desperate for the presence of Jesus, if you are willing to follow his spirit into the land that he has for you without regard for the cost, then look out because you are standing in the promised land. And there are battles to be fought. There is freedom to be had. And it starts with you. The starting place as apostles is Jerusalem. It's us. We cannot affect Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth until this temple, you and I, are fully consumed by the spirit and presence of God. Do you you remember the first city that Joshua had to defeat in the promised land? It wasn't Jerusalem. It was Jericho. Do you know the distance from Jericho to Jerusalem is about 15 to 20 miles? Very short. It's about the distance from here to Morton. And I would propose to you this morning that the fall of Jericho directly impacts the freedom of Jerusalem. The fall of that stronghold in your life impacts your ability to carry fully the presence of God being manifest in Jerusalem. See, Jericho was a mighty stronghold. But now that you are aware of his presence, now that you are standing in the promised land, you do have some Jerichos that need to fall, that need to be dealt with. In fact, it's only the awareness of his presence that can begin the process of tearing down Jericho. You cannot operate a free Jerusalem without Jericho first being destroyed. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says two very simple things that I've overlooked for a long time. He says, talking to you and me, you are God's field and you are God's building. You are God's field and you are God's building. See, if there's anything in your heart that is not a building of God's, if it's idolatry, if it's a version of the golden calf, your stronghold of Jericho, that building must first come down. That stronghold must be reduced to rubble, to a field. Jericho must come down first in order for Jerusalem to be built. And he needs to tear down what you've built up in your life in order to rebuild his building in you. You are God's field. You are God's building. It's an ongoing process in our lives because he cannot build his building in you until he's reduced you to a field. He cannot build his building in you until he's stripped every part of Jericho out of you. Jericho must come down. You are God's field. He, he wants to clear the strongholds that Satan has in your life. Those areas that are not fully his. And you know the story. The walls of Jericho, they were shut up tight. It was a fortress. There's no way that thing's coming down but God's presence went ahead of them. They marched around Jericho for seven days. And the Bible says they started marching in the presence of the Lord. His presence went ahead of them. And on the seventh day, they marched seven times around and they blew that ram's horn. They shouted and the walls came down to a field level. But there was also a secret ingredient to this battle. While the presence of God surrounded Jericho, there was an inside job. There was awareness on the inside, something called faith. Remember Rahab? 
She was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And before the Israelites had surrounded Jericho, Joshua sent some spies into the city, into the house of Rahab, and her house was on the wall of the city. See, some of you, all of us, have different strongholds in our life. A Jericho, if you will, that needs to come down, that needs to be reduced to a field. In fact, if you don't think you have some, then you're blind. A stronghold is a base of enemy operation in your life. It doesn't mean that you're not a disciple or an apostle of Jesus, but it's going to affect your potential for taking the entire land. And if David, the man after God's own heart, can be distracted by Satan, then you can too. And Jericho must fall. The good news is, is that the presence of God surrounds that stronghold. but we have some work to do. We must have an awareness. And just like Rahab, there's a component to this battle that's an inside job. And Hebrews 11 tells us what we need. The fact that Rahab the prostitute is mentioned in Hebrews 11 is just extraordinary. I love it. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. And like Rahab, you need to have some faith. All you need is a corner of that wall. See, that stronghold in your life, it may have been there for years. It may have been passed down from another generation. See, faith is the evidence of things unseen. Faith is the awareness of his presence. And his presence plus my faith equals freedom. And you and I need to be wrecked so that you can be rebuilt. Jericho must come down. Without awareness, without faith, we're blind. And we'll keep wandering around in the wilderness, making our golden calves. See, Jericho is the place that's keeping you back from freedom, from all that God intended you to be. And there are Jerichos in your life and my life that need to fall. I want you to fast forward from Jericho falling with the Israelites. Approximately 1,500 years. Luke 18 says this, as Jesus drew near to Jericho. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, he's still surrounding it. He's still there. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd go by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind beggar said, Lord, let me recover my sight. I want to see. And Jesus told him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. And followed him, glorifying God. And all the people 
when they saw it, gave praise to God. Would you stand up for a moment? Why don't you just open your hands to him right now? Close your eyes and focus on him in this moment. It's just an act of surrender. It's, it's showing that your heart is open to what he wants to do in your life right now. Because you are that blind man. You are that blind woman. And Jesus is approaching Jericho. There are strongholds in your life that need to come down. There are strongholds in my life that need to be torn down. And Jesus, his presence is surrounding you. Jesus is approaching Jericho. And our prayer, our desperate prayer needs to be, Lord, let me see. Because I'm blind. I need to see. I want to see. I've got to become desperate for your presence. I can't stay this way. You've got to land for me. I've got to go. Help me recover my sight. And in this moment, he will reveal to you the strongholds that need to come down. It's just one act of faith that you need to press into him. God, we want to see you. All we want is you. Success is you. You are the prize. Your presence is the prize. And freedom is the result. Make us aware, God, of your presence. Jericho must fall. Whatever those things are in this moment, the Holy Spirit is revealing them to you. Let his presence surround Jericho and ask him, ask him to see your awareness, your faith will heal you, will reduce Jericho to a field, will reduce Jericho to rubble. And it will enable you to take more land, to become dangerous to the enemy. Whatever the situation is in your life, give it to him right now. It's just you and Jesus. Just you and Jesus. Let him deal with it. Strip us down, God. Reduce us to a field, your field, and then build something through us, in and through us. That is our prayer. We must become desperate for you. God has a promise for you. His voice is powerful. He will speak into your life in this very moment. And the reason I know that is I was reminded last night at 2 in the morning. In September, right the week after I'd received this Amplify word from him, I was in a church service at Bethel in California at a conference there. It was the end of the conference, and that Friday night, I was in a church service singing a song, and in the middle of that song, I heard a still, small voice. There, there was loud noise going all around me. I was worshiping, but I heard his still, small voice. 
but it was powerful. It may have been the most powerful thing he's ever spoken to me. And he said, Chris, step forward into your anointing and your authority. And it pierced my heart. It was so strong that I had to sit down in worship and write that down because it was, I was just shaking. And I've been looking for the music video for that for, because that moment was so powerful. It wasn't about the place. It wasn't about the band. It wasn't about anything but the voice of Jesus. But I wanted to see that. And I, so I looked for a couple of months and, and they, they didn't post it. And then last night as I was preparing this message, at midnight, I turned my phone on to see what time it was. And that video from that exact night popped out. They had just posted it. And I watched myself on camera worshiping Jesus. And he wrecked me. He reduced me to a field. And he reminded me, Chris, step forward into your anointing and your authority. And for two hours, I just watched that video. We must become desperate for his presence. And he is a word that he is speaking into your heart right now. Listen to him. Receive it. Father, you are our master. You are our teacher. We invite you in. Come, Holy Spirit. We invite your presence in this place. Blow through us. We do not want to be a junkyard, a collection of cars. We want to be your church. We don't want to be Valley of Dry Bones. Would you rattle something together in us? Would you put the flesh on? Would you breathe life into this dirt and make us in your image and call us out to who you created us to be so that we can step forward into the land that you have for us without regard for the cost because you're going ahead of us. Your presence goes with us, goes ahead of us, and we've now become dangerous to the enemy. And the darkness in Peoria is shaking right now. Because the people of God are coming alive. The people of God are coming alive. Dry bones coming alive.